All right, as promised at the top of the show, we will now go to one of our fellow public affairs hosts here on KDVS, Kirsten Sanford, who hosts This Week in Science every Tuesdays at 8.30 in the morning. Welcome back, Kirsten. Hi, thank you for having me. Well, it's a pleasure to have you back, and it's high time. (laughs) (laughs) It's been a while, hasn't it? Yes. Now, uh, you went last weekend to the American Association for the Advancement of Science meeting in San Francisco? I did that, yes. Well, I know that because you talked about it in your show. (laughs) But you haven't talked about it on ours. So uh, let's give the listeners a little bit of a a flavor for what that was all about. Their main theme this year was sustainability and um, how we can use science and technology to allow us to maintain the well-being of of people around the world. And so it was just a really well-rounded conference all, all around. I'm guessing there was a lot of global warming. There was a lot of global warming. There was session after session on global warming. But luckily, that's not all that was there. Um, There were a lot of good, you know, much more positive notes as well. (laughs) Well, was there any hope on the global warming front? I know it's a lot of grim news, but anybody have any good news? I think on the good news side of it are the new technologies that are going to be made available, um, going to be coming available more readily for people who want to use green power so um, advances in solar energy, um, in wind energy. There were a lot of people there talking about biofuels. There's a lot of positive stuff in the terms of what people are developing for you know, ways that we can become less carbon dependent. With Al Gore winning the, the Oscar here this last weekend, I hope that uh, we'll see more of it in the mainstream. Uh... Yeah, I hope, I hope so, too. Um, although I'm a little bit... Uh, I guess there was a report, there was a 46-state poll that just came out recently that says that 13% of Americans have never even heard of global warming. <laughs> That's, that means 40 million Americans have no idea what the words global warming mean. You know, I'm waiting for someone to do that poll on how many realize that the Earth is not flat. Because I, <laughs> I, bet, I, bet I bet it's out of single digits. <laughs> the Earth, it's not, you know, at 6,000 years old. Well, yeah, we, we probably shouldn't want to go there today because that no. would, would fill up a whole, a whole hour. But uh, um, there is one, one topic I'm keen to ask, and I'm not sure whether you had any, uh, any contact with this one, but I read that uh, Rusty Schweikert was there, the Apollo 9 astronaut, and he's talking a bit about um, this asteroid in 2028, Apophis, which is a concern. I didn't make it to that, no, but I, I do know what you're talking about. They're planning on doing some kind of a, a space tug. Yes. Just kind of move it out of the way a little bit. Yes, the non-Bruce Willis approach. (laughs) Let's try maybe not blowing it up into lots of little pieces. Right. I think that uh, you or I or both should get Schweikert on on a KDVS in the future, because I bet he's got some interesting things to say. I think it'd be great to talk with him, yeah. All right, well, we'll mark that on the to-do list. (laughs) Okay. What was the most fun thing you saw there at the conference? What was the most fun thing? I think one of the most fun uh, sessions that I went to was a group of quantum physicists, quantum theorists, sitting down and talking about string theory. And there, oh see, there were there were two two people who were kind of pro what they call the anthropic principle, mm-hmm. which is basically you know that 
life exists here in our universe because all of the factors that allow it to be so are just so. And then there was another guy um, who was kind of the detractor from the group. So it was really interesting to hear all of these expert opinions on, you know, this really kind of fascinating question of, you know, where did our universe come from? Yeah. Who are we? What are we? Where are we? You know, and to have these people who really that's all they think about <laughs> sit down and talk about what, what, they're, what they're doing. That was, that was really neat. Well, you know, I'm glad you mentioned this because I've been wondering what to do with this article that I have in my hand right now, and I just want to bounce this one off you. This came from New Scientist, which, which, uh-huh. which I know you love to quote from, as, as do we on, this, on our respective shows. But they went out of last year uh, with, with, with the following, addressing string theory. Let me just quote from it. For decades, it's been the main contender for a unified theory of physics. But to some, string theory is beginning to look less and less like a foundation and more and more like a folly. Intricate, beautiful, and ultimately useless. <laughs> was, was that viewpoint there presented? Uh, some people are very skeptical yeah. that string means anything. Yeah, as far as string theory being, you know, the dominant the dominant paradigm in um, theoretical physics right now in terms of the possible equation that will be the, the solution to everything and bring uh, quantum physics in line with particle physics, there's still, like, tons of people on the side of string theory, but there definitely are becoming more and more detractors who are uh, looking at other possible possible ideas. So I think it would be interesting to learn more about what those ideas are and find out why maybe they're not getting as much airtime. How about uh, how about dark energy and dark matter? Was any talk about that or? Oh yeah, people were talking about that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> any 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 uh, possible resolution as the mystery of where most of the universe is? <laughs> uh, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think they're still waiting for a few experiments to be done. <laughs> yeah. I was hoping you'd, you'd be able to attend some of the Ig Nobel uh, oh, events, but you weren't able to make any of those. No, I wish I could have made those. They sounded like so much fun. There was a, a really, really fun-looking roster that they had put together. Lots of people who had done some interesting, but maybe questionable as to why they actually did it, research. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this came from Mark Abrams' uh, book, The Ig Nobel Prize. I guess he's written two books, but I've only got the mm-hmm. first one. And I, I know Mark was there, but you, did, you didn't happen to chance upon him, did you? No, I didn't. Oh, too bad. Well, anyway, in this book, he describes the, I believe it's the 1995 Ig Nobel Prize for Chemistry. They awarded this to George Goebel of Purdue University for his world record time for igniting a barbecue grill. Three seconds using charcoal and liquid oxygen. Oh, God. <laughs> I just, I read this account, and Goebel was describing it, saying, the procedure is simplicity itself. He asks someone to throw a lighted cigarette on the grill, then he pours three gallons of liquid oxygen onto the cigarette. Oh, my God. Spectators are kept at an almost reasonable distance. Don't stare at the flame unless you squint, he advises. It's like the sun. <laughs> And they describe how a cheap grill is entirely consumed by this method. Once, a Weber might survive two or three such starts. I thought that was deserving of an Ig Nobel. Oh, absolutely. But, but no, <laughs> I'm just, I just have to remember not to tell my husband about this one. <laughs> does he have, ac- does I, he have I, access to liquid oxygen? Oh, he'll find a way. I know. <laughs> And then we'll be minus one barbecue. <laughs> well, I, the advice from, from Abrams is start with a Weber, because it may, it may has, a, has a chance of withstanding the, uh, the sun-like uh, so, solar heating. I love it. 
Um, did you just go to the AAAS just out of your own interest, or was this part of a, a work thing? It was a little bit of both. Um, I went because I'm starting a, a, a new video project, and so I went to interview a few people on camera. So I got some really great uh, on-camera interviews of some pretty interesting scientists, a uh, roboticist from Stanford who's working on um, the... The DARPA challenge, where they drive the ro- the robotic cars drive through the desert. Yeah, yeah. And they rate the great race, basically. Talked to a computer programmer who does CGI graphics for uh, Hollywood movies, and I talked to Monty Thompson. He's a uh, paleoglaciologist, so he climbs to the top of the tallest mountains in uh, the mid equatorial region. Yeah. And uh, takes samples from the glaciers there. He was he was pretty cool. So a lot of really interesting people I got to t- got to talk to there. And then on top of it, uh, I was actually invited to speak at a session, Science Writers on Science Writing. So oh, good. I got to Yeah, I got to talk about what I do and people actually believed me. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I imagine you corralled a few future guests for this week in science. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Hopefully there's going to be uh, a number of really interesting interviews coming up. Well, can you give us a teaser on who some of those may be? Uh, one person is uh, Nina Jablonski. She works on the question of how primates have became extinct over the years, how different primate species died out, one of them, namely the Neanderthals. So uh, she looks at various aspects uh, archaeologically you can find from their lifestyle. She also looks at bone records and tries to determine exactly uh, what could have led to their demise. That's great a mystery. What? Who killed the Neanderthals? Does she have a theory? <laughs> You'll just have to wait for the interview. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess so. I guess so. All right. And any others uh, that, uh, that are particularly interesting? I mean, I mean, they're, they're all particularly interesting. Oh, but, uh, yeah, they all are. Um, I'm trying to figure out, remember, who's on deck? Um, probably sometime in April, I'm going to be having somebody to talk about um, additives in various products that we use and um, that act as uh, as estrogen, estrogenic compounds. Ooh, ouch. And might be affecting... Uh, human reproduction and other animal reproductive um, abilities, and it's really surprising. This one, uh, there's a re- there's a report out on it right now called bisphenol A, actually exists and is is put into quite a number of of common household products. Yes, your yes, yes. Your shampoos. Yes. All that kind of stuff, and as it breaks down, or the the product that it comes from, it it actually acts as an estrogen, and so. Um, might actually increase um, cancers or even mutations within within our DNA. That's a must must listen to show. I find that yeah. stuff very very ominous and and of course interesting, but uh, yeah. scary <laughs> scary. It is kind of scary to think about you know all the stuff. And I think this one compound um, industrially has something like sixty different names. So even though you might want to look at look for it in your products. You might find it in one or two products, but you won't notice it in, you know, four or five others because it's under completely different names. Wow. Yeah. So well, it's, yeah. It's something that, you know, people need to be more educated about, but at the same time, it's really fascinating what we're doing to ourselves. <laughs> yes, indeed. And in, in, in a very similar vein, let me let me take a second to forward promote uh, an interview we're going to hopefully do in the next, uh, next week. Steve Etlinger, the author of Twinkie Deconstructed. Subtitled, My Journey to Discover How the Ingredients Found in Processed Food Are Grown, Mined, 
yes mind and manipulated into what America eats. So that that should be uh, that should be curious. Yeah, am I manipulated? I think we all are. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's all that wonderful packaging. All right, well, Kirsten, it, it's been a pleasure. Uh, Having you back, and, and I want to say that uh, I was inspired, and I think you were too, by this, this email we were sent from the UK from John, who said that he heard last week's promo on the show, was looking forward to hearing both of us on the same program. So, John, I hope this was, uh, this was okay. Yeah, I hope so too. It was a lot of fun. All right. Kirsten, thanks again. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. That, of course, was TWIS's venerable host, Kirsten Sanford. This Week in Science can be heard every Tuesdays at 8.30 a.m. right here on KDVS. About a month ago, we were uh, pleased to have Benjamin Jonas Keeling, now of the Voice of America, uh, come on the program and talk about, uh, well, a number of things. But one thing we wanted to have him do before he left was to do something we did on the Insight program, which was to compare... The Coca-Cola made in different countries, and here to help us do that is our expert taste tester, Benjamin Jonas Keeling. Welcome back, Benjamin. Thank you, Doug. Now, this is radio. <laughs> I love it. This is what radio was meant to be. This is the cutting edge. <laughs> I love it. Uh, on Insight, people may not have heard, about a year ago, we were talking about high fructose corn syrup, how they've changed the formula of Coca-Cola. Um, a lot of people were importing Mexican Coke because there's demand for the real thing made with cane sugar, and we sampled it on the air. At least you did and gave us the verdict. And you're now willing to do the same for us on KDVS. Absolutely. And, uh, and, you, and you actually fetched some, some of the product that we're going to test right now. Oh, that's right. In November, I was in Hungary, and I brought back a can of Hungarian Coca-Cola for this very purpose. <laughs> and, we, and we appreciate that. <laughs> you're welcome. So uh, following your lead, when I went down to Central America, I brought back some Costa Rican Coca-Cola. Fabulous. Who so knew we, these two cans would ever meet each other? <laughs> Mr. McMillan has uh, labeled three different uh, glasses, A, B, and C. One is the American Coke, which is made with high fructose corn syrup, okay. and the other two, mm-hmm. well, the Costa Rican is, is made with cane sugar. Did we check the label of the Hungarian Coke? I can't read it. I, I don't know what it says. <laughs> it's in Hungarian. <laughs> well, I guess then that, that we have at least one of these samples, which is sweetener indeterminate. That would be the Hungarian Coke. <laughs> All right. Well, um, shall we do this? I have I have my Coke. You have your Coke. Shall we? Shall we just kind of go through this? Absolutely. Should well, we start with A? Let's go with A. Okay. A tastes okay to me. Tastes like Coke. Yeah. You know, Doug. They all taste like Coke to me, but I can tell differences between them. No question about that. Oh well, you're you're stepping ahead of me. I guess I better okay. swill some B and C. Oh, sorry. Am I not <laughs> doing this right? No. <laughs> well, as as I'm sipping, what's what's your preliminary reaction? All right. Well, we have three cups in front of us, right? Yeah. I'd say uh, B is the fizziest, A is the sweetest, and also the most familiar to me. So I'm going I'm, to, yeah, I'm going to target A as the United States one, and then C is the dullest. That's my reaction. Uh, this is a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. It's hard. No <laughs> the, question. These taste more similar than they do different, that's for sure. Well, that's, um, that's good news for whoever's in charge of these bottling plants. Um, I I believe that of of these three, C tastes flatter to me. It doesn't quite have quite I, the same. Um, I concur. C a, was the dullest to me. Well, but A and B are good. I'm I'm leaning toward B being the most authentic, the most okay. what I'm used to. Okay. Although A sounds pretty good too. So I guess we should guess as to what we think we're drinking. Okay. Well, I'm going to say A is uh, from the United States. 
and I'm going to put B as from Costa Rica, and C is from Hungary. All right. Well, I think the most authentic one is B, which I'm pretty sure would be the sugar stuff. So I agree with you. I'm going to guess that B is Costa Rica, but I'm going to flip it. I think the flattest tasting one, the most bogus tasting one is going to be the U.S. Coke because it's got phony syrup in it. And I'm guessing the Hungarian one is A. Very good. So we both agree on B, but we're going to flip A and C. May the best man win. (laughs) We should note for the record, Mr. McMillan agrees that B is the best tasting of these trio. Mm-hmm. And we all agreed on that, right? We do. We did. Okay, good. So what's the verdict? All right, well, um, A is indeed the United States Coke. Okay. So I got that one right. Okay, <laughs> you did. <laughs> Does that mean I can be hosting host of Parallax yes, next week? Yes, exactly, Thank exactly you. what it means. And uh, B would be Costa Rica. Aha. That means I'm hosting Parallax for two weeks <laughs> in a row. And C would be the Hungarian Coke. That means I'm the new host of Radio Parallax. Thank you very much. (laughs) But let's reiterate what this means. All three of us agreed the best tasting drink was B, which is Coca-Cola manufactured in Central America, which we're certain contains cane sugar. So it would certainly appear that cane sugar makes a big difference in the taste of Coke. Yes, it does. Now, we, we disagreed on what might be B and C, but we all thought that A was a step down. So right. American Coke is a step down by what I'd say universal agreement. Yes. But the question is, what's happening to the, to the, to the quality control in Eastern Europe? <laughs> yeah, that was the worst tasting one, wasn't it? I don't know. I, this means another trip to Hungary. It, and bring back, yes, bring back, we'll have to sample this once again. But it does, it does show that you think you're getting the same product all over the world, and I'd say uh, pretty close. Pretty close. Subtle differences. But not exactly. Well, I think we have proven m- my thesis that Coca-Cola uh, made in, in Central America is your best bet, but it does appear that you have the more discriminating palate. Thank you, Doug. Finally, some recognition. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what, what topics are you going to cover on next week's Radio oh, that's Parallax? Right. Well, let's see. Uh, now that I'm uh, officially Radio Parallax's new host, uh, Doug, I'll invite you back and we'll talk about what's ahead for you. Hey, we've done that before with Steve <laughs> Valentino. That'll work great. Good enough. He is, as we speak, uh, somewhere in Washington, D.C., doing what he can to uh, to improve the quality of news received by the Iranian people. But uh, but he's also our official taste tester here. Benjamin Jonas Keeling, thank you so much, and let's come back again. Thank you, Doug. It was a pleasure. It's a real thing in the back of your mind. What you're hoping to find is a real thing. It's a real thing. Coke is the way it should be. Coca-Cola, what the world wants to see. Oh, yeah. It's a real thing. Coca-Cola, people want to find life's good things. Coke has real life. See what real life can bring. It's Coke for the taste of your life. The way it is With a bottle of Coke And the way it will stay Coca-Cola What the world wants today